1: And run with Matt Spiegel. You know, I think both of us—certainly I do—listen to a lot of sports radio. Matt Spiegel got on with some takes that were pure gold. Sundays, 9
2: a.m. to noon. Hey, Sean, I'm really looking forward to watching Zach Davies closely this year. And um, my showmates during the week laugh at me when I talk about that, but they're—they're they're idiots. Um,
3: Swinging so a line drive, base hit, left center field. It'll drive in two. Frazier, the batter, lines one down the right field line, base hit in the corner. It's going to drive in one. He hits a high fly ball into deep left center field. That ball is going to be in there and bouncing over the wall for a ground rule double. It'll drive in two. Swing and a drive into right field for a base hit. One run is in. Hayward will throw to the plate. Reynolds will slide in and he is safe. It's a two run single for Moran and the Pirates now lead seven to one.
4: Uh, But at the same time, sometimes you kind of do need a kick in the ass.
3: It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel.
2: Man, you know, in this business, sometimes you think you make friends along the way. Thought producer Sean Anderson and I were tight. Instead, he's throwing Zach Davies in my face here on a Sunday morning. Good morning, everybody. It is Hit and Run, the Score's venerable baseball show. Matt Spiegel here with you for the next uh, two and a half hours or so. Cut a little bit short because the Cubs start a little early in Pittsburgh. Um, Seriously, uh, Sean, our love affair is over. Um, But, no, I can take it. I am excited about Zach Davies and still overall excited about Zach, Zach Davies. But, oh, was that bad? That was the worst start of his career. Tied for it anyway, if you go by Bill James's game score. It's the fourth time in his career that he's given up seven earned runs. He had no control. But it's not just that. I I will tell you why Zach Davies got lit up last night. And it's not because he has mediocre stuff or whatever, or he doesn't throw hard or whatever, because he's been that guy for a long, long time and been very, very good. No, I'll tell you why. And it will sound familiar. For those of us who've been watching and covering Kyle Hendricks for all these years, because of course he is the associate professor. We'll talk about Zach Davies, we'll talk about the Cubs offense. Hello, anyone? Cubs offense. Hello? We'll talk about the White Sox and the Bullpen getting three days of rest. Three days of rest. My friend Northbrook Bob on Twitter last night, after I said the White Sox bullpen had three days of rest. he, He tweeted. A White Sox bullpen hasn't gotten this much rest since the 2005 ALCS. That's funny. Now that is funny. I like that. Uh, It's an opportunity for Tony LaRusso to reset some things with that bullpen. I have ideas, Tony. And guess what? So does Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn has ideas for you, which he expressed the other day. One specifically we need to discuss. Um, Tony doesn't seem to think very much of Andrew Vaughn as a hitter right now. Well, we'll discuss that because that's, that's a problem if uh, you're hoping that Andrew Vaughn develops as a hitter. Tough to do that when your manager doesn't really believe that, um, that you're there um, as of right now on, uh, on possibly multiple levels. So we got to talk about that. Um, you know me. I'm going to have to discuss the uniqueness of Lance Lynn uh, again, even though we've had several days now to react to the home opener. Right? I mean, White Sox fans, you got to just be dying for a game. Please play some games. And you're thinking, today's Dylan Cease's day, but you know, Rodon was pretty good. Should they just go with Rodon and leave him on schedule? No, it'll be Cease. And that's all right. Uh, We'll talk with you Cubs fans about what it's like to have this Hall of Fame caliber version of Craig Kimbrell and what that means for the rest of the year. And uh, a whole bunch of other stuff along the way. At 10 o'clock, I'm really looking forward to talking to Travis Sochick. You guys know Travis? You, you should. He wrote Big Data Baseball about how the Pirates emerged from 20 losing seasons to become an, uh, an impressive franchise in the earlier part of the last decade, as they did. He also co-wrote The MVP Machine with Ben Lindbergh. He's written for Fangraphs, written for lots of others. He writes for The Score right now, not us, but that other place. Um, and used to cover the Pirates uh, for traditional newspapers as well, but really looking forward to talking to him about uh, about analytics, um, a- about soft factors. As you know me, I always love to push the analytics guys for the soft factors, and I love to push the soft factor old school guys for the analytics, so we can all find the middle, because that's what the game is actually about. And along the way, we will take lots of your phone calls At 312-644-6767, that's also how you can text us. It used to be a different way, but now it's that way. And the Tech Zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at rosenhyundai.com. We are broadcasting live from the Scores Hyundai Studios, in fact, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And uh, call up along the way, and let's discuss whatever you'd like about the Cubs and the Sox in this two team town where the air is cold it's going to i think it's the low today in the 40s but if you're going to a guaranteed rate letter later i think it's going to get up to like 54 so that should be uh, fairly comfortable and of course as i mentioned the cubs in pittsburgh pregame is at 11:30 first pitch is at noon today Trevor Williams going for the Cubs today. His father, Richard Williams, been a very fun story to follow and fun to watch Richard Williams on Twitter and on TV. The other day when Trevor made his first start at Wrigley, Richard Williams is there in Pittsburgh. He's there to watch his son make his first start back with his former team. And Richard Williams is going to be on the score tomorrow. He's going to be on the Parkins and Spiegel show. I love half of that show parkins and spiegel show tomorrow afternoon between two and six richard williams will be on around uh, three o'clock to you know um to, to give voice to that little league dad within all of us little league parent within all of us and i say that full well knowing that some of you have no children and may in the future have children but if you're a baseball fan and you're listening and you don't have any children and someday you might I, I bet part of you is wondering if you'll ever be a, big, a little league dad. And if you are of the older persuasion and have been uh, a little league dad in the past, then you know what it is. If you're like me and you have a nine-year-old who really doesn't seem to care about playing uh, baseball, then, you know, you're trying to figure out exactly what to do. Do you force it on him? Hey, kid, here. I, here's how uh, I'm, I'm selling Ruben on it, by the way trying to anyway, I said, you know, if you hit a home run, your teammates will cheer for you. They will clap for you. All of a sudden, "Hmm? what, what? Interested. So it's not just uh, 27-year-olds in their prime who try to hit home runs so their teammates cheer for them. It's not just them. It's nine-year-olds considering whether they even want to play baseball in the first place.
4: Does he have to hit it out or can it, like if he does play, can an inside the park still count as a a home run?
2: Well, it will feel, this was the magic to me, you know, for me in in my T-ball and Little League days. And I took the advice from my friend Lenny's father who said, "Um, just keep running, nobody can catch. So it all feels the same at first anyway. Oh, my God, I had a home run. Actually, kid, that was a single and a three-base error committed by four different people.
4: Actually, the right fielder's a lefty who's throwing righty.
2: (laughs) No, but whatever. Like, I singled through the left side, and then the left fielder threw it over the second baseman's head, and then the first baseman got it and threw it over the third baseman's head, and then uh, the left fielder backing up at that point threw it to the catcher who dropped it, and you scored. Home run. Good job. That counts, man. It counts in your heart, at least at first. All right, let's get to Zach Davies. Okay, all right. Since I'm under attack, as I was on, on Twitter last night, Danny Parkins tweeting at me. Hmm, Matt Spiegel, crickets about Zach Davies. I was living my life, Danny, on a Saturday night. Actually, here's what I did I was watching the game on the big TV. And then the Cubs go down as much as they did because Davies gave up seven earned runs. And I knew they weren't coming back. You knew that, too, right? Cubs fans, viewers of this team, uh, partakers in the Cubs' feast or famine offense for the last four years. Really the last five years, including uh, much of 2016, but they homered a lot. Ended the postseason that year as well. This is the nature of them. Did you think they were going to come back? It didn't feel like it, right? I admit that they moved to the iPad, which made its way onto the coffee table at my house, continuing to watch as I was. And then Netflix went on the big TV for me and the wife on a Saturday night. We finished... um, Uh, This is a Robbery, the four part Netflix series on the art heist at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. I thought it was really good. The wife extremely frustrated by it because, uh, spoiler alert, it's unsolved. Tough to spend four hours on a Netflix documentary that remains unsolved. If you're my wife, I was still kind of fascinated, but, you know, that's me. Big time spoiler. Anyway, I did not think the Cubs were going to come back. They don't have that feel as an offense of that fight, scratch, and claw their way back into a game because they're a home run offense, as they have been. And when they homer, they're a real good offense. Power is the great baseball deodorant. It it, it takes away the stench of so many other things. It's been a running conversation for the entirety of this winning window and certainly over the years of frustrations. This is why we always end up talking about lineup diversification. This is why they themselves, Jed Hoyer, Theo Epstein and others, have talked about lineup diversification. This is why I'm up for seeing Eric Sogard at second base a lot. I really am right now. You need contact. That dude is a 92% contact rate hitter as he was last year. Not quite that high the rest of his career, but it certainly kept developing. The Cubs right now as an offense overall in contact rate, 71.3%. That puts them 26th in baseball. Their strikeout rate is 29.1%. That puts them 29th out of 30 teams in baseball. Perhaps, you know, they are dead last in batting average in baseball. They are 27th in on-base plus slugging, 27th in runs. In on-base percentage, they are 29th in baseball. We have known that things have needed to change for several years. We were told that change was coming. We were told a reckoning was upon them, that the core would be dissected And picked apart if need be. And now, what do we have? Kyle Schwarber non-tendered. And that's pretty much it. If Nico Horner can be more of a contact guy, I want him on this roster. Uh, He wasn't last year. Showed some good things in the spring, but a lot of that was power. And he built himself up and was elevating the ball. And they have a lot of guys like that similar to what David Bodie does, frankly. But Sogard, that is the kind of lineup diversification we've been talking about for a long time. Play him. Go ahead and play him. Been a very rough April for Jock Peterson after a very good march for Jock Peterson. Some decent at-bats from Jock, a few sack flies. He had a single off a lefty Tyler Anderson the other day when the Cubs had those three homers in the opener in Pittsburgh, but overall, the frustrations are there. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of sitting Ian Happ against lefties. I thought I, I last year was a big, big year for Ian Happ. Coming along, it's your leadoff hitter, your center fielder. And not just coming along last year, but really performing very well and a very capable switch. I've seen him as a left-handed hitter poke an outside, breaking ball to the left side. Let him try and do that off ladies. That's lefties. (laughs) Ladies. Let him try to do that off lefties. Why not? Boy, that that doesn't even make sense in a Freudian sense, does it, Sean? Lefties for ladies? That doesn't make a lick of sense.
4: I guess it's just the L's.
2: Yeah, that's not enough. Come on, Spiegel, do better.
4: You know you're going to hear that again, right? (laughs)
2: I can hope that Chris Tannehill is not running errands on a Sunday morning. Can't I?
4: He is. (laughs) He's perpetually running errands.
2: He usually is. But, do you join me in frustration with the Cubs offense? I'm sure you do.
4: Well, absolutely. I'm sitting here at the board <laughs> yesterday running this game, and they yeah. get down 7-1, to one, and the whole, the whole time I'm just went hoping that there's no rain delay starting before the fifth inning because I ponder back to, I think, a 2019 game where the Cubs and Cardinals had a 3-hour and 37-minute rain delay. I was just hoping that that game didn't get delayed so I didn't have to watch that offense for, you know, an extended period of time
2: yeah and 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 you did and it is frustrating I mean you've got look there's a reason that Ben Zobrist was so important when he was here it's the same reason I'm sitting here calling for Eric Sogard to be in the lineup as much as possible it's the same thing You, you you must go with the diversification when it is here when the opportunity arises. I, I know you did some research on coming back from five runs down. Were you just looking to see them come back to tie it or come back to win it?
4: Uh, come back to win it, but I, I looked yeah. through every single one, and it, it really didn't seem that there was a point where they even would come back and tie it. It would. The only times that I saw them where they were down that many and would come back and make it a competitive game, they ended up winning it. And uh, the the last time they came back from five runs was back in 2019, June 27th against the Braves. And last time they came back from six-plus runs is April 4th, 2018. And to go off of the contact rate that you were talking about a little bit earlier, too, since 2019, the Cubs are 27th in the MLB in total hits. They just do not get on base enough by swinging the bats. I mean, it's just very clear, and it's been clear since 2019, and they've had so many opportunities to change it up. Yeah. And I know you're, well, you're, you're reasoning for Eric Sogard, but I don't think Sogard's going to turn this team from 27th in the ML over the past two years and hits to, you know, the top 20 team.
2: You, you need guys like that, though. He, he's really just an emblem for the, for the sake of the conversation. And this is the, this is the state of the whole game. This is why it's so compelling to me and frustrating at the same time to hear the commissioner's office as led by Theo Epstein talk about wanting to change some of the way the game has progressed due to the developments that guys like him enacted. This is what it is. This is what it is around the game. So when you do have people that can do both, they are gold. People that can slug and also hit for a little contact. I wish Nicholas Castellanos was still here. Very, very, very good hitter. As a power guy and the ability to make contact as well. And it's certain types of pitches as well. You know, there's there's a reason that um, that even teams... Like Anaheim, they just signed that kid David Fletcher to a five-year deal and, and, and placed him in there to hit leadoff in front of Trout and Otani and Upton and Jared Walsh and all those guys. Because you need guys like that. And, of course, the irony of it is when I say things like get Sogard in there and part of you is like, look, Eric Sogard's not going to do anything, you know? It's because he's unexciting. But you need some of those unexciting guys right there in between some of the exciting guys.
4: And I agree with that, and I think you see the same thing with the White Sox and Danny Mendick. I mean, he, he goes into that lineup in the, the home opener, and he gets three hits, and they're big hits, and you look at him versus Leary uh, Garcia, and you see that he's been, Mendick has, been very situationally great for the White Sox in the past two years.
2: Well, Danny Mendick is a professional um, utility guy. Danny Mendick, uh, I'm a fan and have been for a long time. When he was very young, Danny Mendick said to himself, you know what, if I'm ever going to make it in big league baseball... I should just be a utility guy. So he chose that role. He trained specifically for that role. Let me get good at every infield position that I can. Let me um, learn how to cope with and deal with coming off the bench to having at bat after not being in a game for two days. Let me think about that. Uh, let me make sure that I can hit all different types of pitching. Um, let me make sure that my ego is in check so I can accept certain kinds of roles. Danny Medic decided to do this. Takes a, a, a certain mentality to be that guy. He's trained specifically for it. He should be on this roster. He should be on this roster. Jake Lamb has no place on the White Sox roster. I find it incredibly frustrating. Found it frustrating when they signed him. I know that uh, he was in Arizona when Tony La Russa was there as the front office and I know that Jake Lamb had, definitely has some potential to refine it as a left-handed bat. There's just no utility to him. An opportunity to use that version of the definition of utility uh, in the baseball sense. There, there's no, it, 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 you can only use him at third base and at DH, and I guess they're going to run him out there and left every once in a while. But nah, get him gone. It's okay. Danny Mendick should be here but I don't host a baseball show on Sunday mornings just to talk about Danny Mendick and Eric Sogard. Oh no. Oh no. I host a show on Sunday mornings so I can show up and be accountable for Zach Davies failures. Um, we'll get to Zach Davies failures uh, next segment. We will continue the conversation wide ranging on both teams on both sides of town in the next segment. And I want you to hear Tony La Russa's boss talking about the closer as well during the rest of this hour Travis, Travis Sawchik at the top of the hour It's Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score
3: Alright, you got a minute? Yeah Take a seat You can't start Pena first tonight You'll have to start Hatterberg Yeah, I don't want to go 15 rounds, Billy The lineup card is mine And that's all the lineup card is definitely yours. I'm just saying you can't start Pena at first. Well, I am starting him at first. I don't think so. He plays for Detroit now. You traded Pena.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman is Art Howe. And, of course, Brad Pitt is Billy Bean in Moneyball. Uh, GM's baseball presidents, if you want to dictate the lineup card, sometimes you just got to trade somebody. But then, as the moneyball era progressed and turned into other things and is now well past us, sometimes front offices just write out that lineup card for every level of the organization. Sometimes they're that powerful and sometimes they're not. And that push and pull can be Fascinating. Did you guys hear uh, Joe Madden on with Lawrence Holmes a couple weeks ago, um, talking about how much he likes working with Perry Manazian of the uh, of the LA Angels of Anaheim? See if you can find that Sean Anderson back at the shop, even if it's not for right now. Uh, I know we cut it and played it on the afternoon show. It's very striking to hear Joe Madden talk about what it's like to work for that GM Perry Manazian, who, by the way. Uh, Perry Manazian, uh, the son of Zach Manazian, um, I believe is the dad's name, who was a clubhouse guy in Texas for a long, long time. Perry was a ball boy in Texas, among other things. Joe Madden has known his boss for a long, long, long time. Here's Joe talking to Lawrence.
1: I'm telling you, I've never been so involved in uh, decision-making from a front office to myself, my chair, as I have already with Perry um, in a couple months. It's been very interesting. And it really keeps you involved, and it's the same way with the rest of the group. So right now, everybody feels like they're part of ownership. So
0: you feel a little bit more connected because it gives you an opportunity to to, to look at it from a managerial, I mean, upper managerial position.
1: Well, there's a freedom involved too. Um, uh, just honestly, when when you have a GM that really permits you to do your job, and uh, really, really does. Uh, there's a I've always talked to you about. Uh, giving uh, freedoms to the players, uh, the more freedom, given the greater respect and discipline return. The same thing holds true from a uh, front office down to the field level too. When you feel that freedom to do your job um, where there's not going to be constant interference or noise coming from top to bottom after a game or even prior to a game, um, it, it really, it, it, um, it makes it a lot more fun. And, and I think with that, uh, you can have an openness about it that, um, I think our players have already responded to it. I know our coaching staff. I'm just sitting in on meetings with these guys who never spoke or are speaking now, and that's that's a perfect indicator uh, of the freedom that they're feeling to be themselves. And that's when you're going to get the best, or most out of all of these guys. And I think that's what's going on here right now.
2: Oh man, I love that. Joe Joe Madden is a made guy. He can say whatever he wants. A very uh, a very clear bit of communication from Joe Madden on the freedom that he now has. Uh, out there in Anaheim that perhaps he did not have here in Chicago. Look, this is all just backdrop for this conversation that I, that I want to have um, about Tony LaRusse's bullpen. Okay, I only have two real issues with things that have gone on so far with Tony. Um, one of them is, of course, the complete lack of awareness that somehow allowed Matt Foster to stay in that game in Seattle with nobody else warm and nobody else in for that for that sixth inning. That was oh, whew, that was painful. That was a debacle. Um, you heard Tony talk about that after the game on uh, Wednesday in Seattle. Did you hear him yesterday when he was a guest with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse? The game rained out yesterday. Maybe that allowed Tony to call in. I know that was a late addition and a real good one, of course, for inside the clubhouse. Listen to Tony La Russa yesterday talking about taking accountability as he had after that game on Wednesday, saying that he was lousy managing uh, that day.
1: Well, first of all, if you have too many of those the rest of the season, then I shouldn't be around very long. So, uh, But I think that the most important part about that, Bruce, is that you got to create an atmosphere in the club where everybody is accountable, everybody takes responsibility for you know whether you're a pitcher or an infield or outfield or coach a manager, and part of the accountability is if if you mess up and you try to make excuses to explain it, then and you're uh inconsistent kind of hypocritical, so you know we really have stressed uh, as a coaching staff and with the players, you know that we're going to be. Honest and we're going to earn respect and trust. And the only way you're going to earn the trust is if you make a mistake, stand up and say you messed up.
2: I'm really looking forward to watching Zach Davies. <laughs>
1: and then I shouldn't be around very long. <laughs> oh,
2: you know, Sean, you're muddying the waters. That's what you're doing. And just for that, I'm going to continue to avoid discussing Zach Davies' terrible start. I'm going to try to avoid that all show. Probably unsuccessfully. Um here so good for tony good for tony to come out and say it and i i respect the way that he gave voice to it there you're trying to uh breed an atmosphere of accountability so go ahead and you be that guy that's cool i'm down with that now don't make the same mistake again but i'm very much down with uh calling yourself out i think that is a beautiful thing that i was once told that that is a life hack you know, it makes people uh, like you a little bit better. You feel better. Just cop into it. And it does not affect your strength and standing within the clubhouse. It should not. Most managers don't want to do that kind of thing. Good, good on Tony. I'm cool with that. Now, just don't do it again. Here's my real question about that whole scenario, by the way, is what was Ethan Katz thinking? What was Joe McEwing thinking? Um, was Ethan Katz wanting to say something and yet did not? I don't know the answer to that. I, I, if Ethan Katz was wanting to say something and did not say it next time, if Joe McEwing had thoughts and was just bowing to Tony and letting Tony dictate it, say it, you know, have those conversations while it's happening, before it happens, after the game, before the next all that kind of stuff. So that's, it's important that, that more voices get in there. um, Especially, potentially younger and intimidated ones like Ethan Katz. I don't know that for sure, but certainly is a question that I have about that. The other issue that I've had with Tony and and the bullpen is, of course, the use of closer. Liam Hendricks is too good. And this White Sox bullpen is too deep, frankly. And this year, too important. Every game, too important for him to be limited to a one inning closer with a lead roll that's too simple these days that's not how it should work it's just not and I'm not saying that Liam Hendricks should be in in the seventh inning but like that game a week ago when Jose Ruiz gives you a scoreless inning and you are gifted with a tie thanks to a Raisa Iglesias error and Liam Hendricks is already warm and it's a tie game on the road bring him in go ahead bring him in He's capable of getting six outs. He's done it many times in his life and career. Even just last year in 60 games, he had a lot of appearances where he went more than one inning. He's capable of doing it. We've seen it. He knows it. He wants it. Bring him in. You've got other people who could finish a game if need be. You've got other people who can close the next night if need be. And he didn't need it that next night, by the way, the first game in Seattle because that's when Rodon was terrific and they actually used Jose Ruiz again for a couple of innings. He didn't need a high leverage reliever. You never know.
5: The pen is mightier. Yes,
2: oh it is. So so go ahead and use Liam Hendricks. And then this was very interesting. I wanted you to hear this. This is Rick Hahn before the home opener talking about that closer role because look, philosophically I disagree drastically with Tony La Russa on the way that he gave voice to that after he used him that way or didn't use him in Anaheim. He said, if we were home, it's different. That is uh that's, that's not the way it ought to happen these days in major league baseball. And it sure sounded to me like Rick Hahn agrees with that. I know Liam is more than willing to pitch wherever he's assigned Uh, He's an out getter, is the way he's described himself throughout. And obviously, there's no uh, need to have him dedicated strictly to save situations. So I suspect Tony and Ethan are going to deploy him in the most effective way over the course of the summer when those opportunities arise. It's and if they don't, you know, it's not uh, it's it's a strategic decision
4: based that the staff is making based on the long-term view, perhaps, not just based
2: on an individual game. Uh, that said, I know he's available for whatever. That's that's part of what makes him a, a great teammate. Uh, interesting bit there at the end, the long-term view as opposed to that individual game. So translation to me, if it's later in the year, it happens that Tony uses Hendricks in a tie game on the road. Uh, and the other translation is that Rickon wishes that he would have. So... Um, Will he walk in like Billy Bean to Art Howe in the Moneyball clip and say, uh, you're going to be using Hendricks? No, I don't think he will. But have those conversations taken place? Probably, as they should. That's how a baseball team should run. A texture correctly points out, by the way, that Miguel Cairo is the bench coach. Joe McEwing has been a bench coach before um, and is now the third base coach and has certainly been around a long time. But, yeah, absolutely, Cairo, uh, another guy who um, should be involved in some of those conversations uh, with Tony. And hopefully, if they weren't this past Wednesday in Seattle, they will be in the future. Travis Sochick coming up, the author of uh, Big Data Baseball and the co-author of The MVP Machine coming up at the top of the hour. All right, fine. I'll get to Zach Davies and a little bit of Craig Kimbrell when we come back. Continuing, though, with your phone calls and your texts at 312-644-6767. It is hit and run on 670, the score.
3: And the 2-1 from Davies to Moran. Swing and a drive into right field for a base hit. One run is in. Hayward will throw to the plate. Reynolds will slide in and he is safe. It's a two-run single for Moran and the Pirates now lead 7-1. to one. Love States.
2: and love stinks but boy does that make me smile one of my favorite memories ever from either sports or music involves love stinks do you know that story sean anderson is that why we have it in the system because i asked for it at one point
4: i think i think so i believe it is because of uh jason hamill i think that's That's why i pulled it um, That's right, And I just noticed it sitting in my uh, drop folder that love stinks. And I was like, well, you love Zach Davies.
2: It's your boy out there getting blasted. Um, a, a quick aside here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Uh, Theo Epstein and Peter Gammons' incredible charity event, Hot Stove Cool Music, which uh, I have been lucky to be a part of since, I guess, 2014, 2013? In 2015... Uh, Len Casper and I, as part of the Chicago All-Stars band, uh, played that song, Love Stinks, and I needed somebody to do the spoken word part, Love Stinks. And I was like, maybe Joe Madden? And he wouldn't do it. Uh, talking to Theo that night, Theo, you want to do it? And he said, no, man, I'm too busy. I'll find you somebody. Jose Cardenal was there because Eddie Vedder had flown in Jose Cardenal because that was his favorite cub of all time. So I taught Jose Cardenal how to do that part in the green room downstairs at Metro. And I'm upstairs, we're about ready to do the song, and I got Jose Cardenal with me in the wings at Metro, ready to go, and Theo Epstein shows up having brought down from the balcony Jason Hamill, Travis Wood, and Jason Mott, and said, these guys are ready. These guys are ready. So I taught those three guys how to do it. I realized my entire music-baseball hybrid career had been leading up to me teaching those four people how to do the spoken word part on love stinks by the love stinks.: That's right. And they, all four of them came out, shared a microphone, and nailed it, killed it, because of my inspired tutelage. That's one of my favorite memories of all time in music or and or baseball. So thank you for that before I talk about Zach Davies. And now here we go. Travis Sachik at the top of the hour, uh, co-author of The MVP Machine and the author of Big Data Baseball and uh, just a a, a fun, interesting person to talk baseball with, top of the hour. Here's the problem with Zach Davies and with Kyle Hendricks and really anybody who uses the changeup and fastball coming out of the same tunnels as much as those guys do and have this approach. When Zach Davies, who, who throws change-ups more than just anybody, when he's throwing it like he did in his first start against the Pirates, he uses that change-up just out of the zone to dictate how he pitches. If guys swing at it, he keeps throwing it, makes them chase. They'll keep chasing Sometimes they'll swing and miss. Sometimes they'll make terrible contact on it. Lots of ground balls, use the defense, stuff like that. If they're swinging at it, if they don't swing at it, then he's like, oh, they're going to be patient. And he sneaks fastballs into the zone and gets ahead. That's what he did in the first start. He talked about it after the game. He'll let you in. He'll tell you about it. So they weren't biting on the change like, oh, you're going to be patient. All right. Well, let me just attack the zone. Thank you. Then all of a sudden you look up and that's why sometimes he and we've seen it many, many times with Kyle. will have these incredibly efficient games. Remember Kyle had the complete game where he threw 81 pitches. A few years ago, remember that? That happened that day. I remember I was there that day and I was in the post game and listening to him talk about it. I said, Yeah, they were swinging. So I just kept throwing it, you know, or excuse me, said they weren't swinging. So he just kept throwing fastballs in the zone. And then they started uh, getting aggressive, getting super aggressive. And he throw those through those change ups towards the bottom and, 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 and on the edges. And they would swing at it and make terrible contact before you know it. It's another five pitch inning. So anyway, Zach Davies, start one against the Pirates. They were super patient. And he's like, all right, you're not going to swing at my junk? No problem. Here come fastballs. And just hammer the zone. This time, the Pirates adjusted. Here's what Zach Davies said after the game. They were able to make adjustments to the way I pitched in the first game. So for me, it's going back and seeing counts, seeing approaches, seeing the way guys take pitches off me. That's something that I'll study. I tried to stay down and away, was trying to stay away from harder contact. Their approach was completely the opposite of that, where they were looking for something in the zone. That's where I typically pitch, and they took advantage, and they succeeded at that. That's a credit to them. So they responded to the way that Zach Davies dominated them. Remember, he dominated them the first time around. So pitchers like Davies have to zig when the opponents zag. I mean, everybody does, obviously. But when you've got truly dominant swing and miss stuff, you can survive when they zag and you don't zig. But when you're Zach Davies and Kyle Hendricks, you have to be smarter and you have to uh, respond and adjust faster. Same team twice in a row can be a challenge for Zach Davies. And there it was. So look, he knows what he's doing and has shown it. I still think that he is going to have a very solid year for a sneaky, decent Cubs pitching staff. He was bad last night, but overall, the pitching is not the issue with this team, especially the starting pitching, not the issue. Davies was bad last night I bet he won't be next time and I bet he won't be uh, next time he gets the Pirates and I'm sure he will because boy the Cubs play the Pirates a lot and the Brewers a lot here in the opening month after this series at Pittsburgh they will go to Milwaukee and I I, I bet Zach Davies will adjust and be a lot better 312-644-6767 is the phone number Let's uh, go to Joe on the far northwest side who has dialed it up on Hit and Run on 670 the score with me, Matt Spiegel. Here's Joe. You're on the score. What's happening? Good morning, Matt. How
5: are you doing, sir? I'm good. Nice article the other day. Seeing you in the Sun-Times and, you know, congratulations you. on you doing some Cub games this year. But, you know, with the way the Cubs offense is, uh, they're probably going to be pleading the fifth. Why, uh, Matt Spiegel, at least we get to hear you calling the fifth, you know, innings, <laughs> that is, you know. But uh, I wish the Cubs offense could be a lot like your, you know, the name of your show, Hit and Run. But lately, not so hot, you know, on and off, you know. But, Matt, again, this year, in my opinion, you know, we got to need to beat the bottom feeders of the National League Central. What happens again yesterday? The Cubs score a few more runs a couple of days ago. Last night, they scored two. But unfortunately, you know, it's not enough. I mean, look at the big boppers this year so far. You know, what Rizzo and Peterson are batting, what, below the Mendoza line, and Bryant and Baez are biting, you know, just above the Mendoza line, you know. But, you know, but during the Brewers series, Matt, you know, Wilson Contreras, in my opinion, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, this guy needs to put a 20 pound bag of ice around his neck. He needs to cool it. It's too early, you know, to point fingers, too early for all these Donnie Brooks. You know, you don't need your primary catcher to get hurt. You know, the Cubs better have Randy Hundley, Kenny Rudolph, and Bill Heath on standby just in case you might need them, you know, in my opinion. But I'll bet San Diego's Padres, you know, threw that no-hitter recently, Musgrave, I bet you he's happy with his backup catcher, you know. Does Carantini's name ring a bell, Cub fans, and Mr. Ricketts, you know, in my opinion? But someone should read the book of brushback to Carantini, you know. I mean, look at some of the orchestra leaders for chin music. Nolan Ryan, Bob Gibson, I remember pitchers, Matt, 50 years ago, uh, Carl Morton and uh, Jim McAndrew and Steve Ranko, especially Ross Grimsley, the left-hander. You know, They would tell batters, you know, get the toothpick out of the mouth of the batter's box, you know. But, Matt, the $64,000 question, you know, uh, the Cubs aren't doing so well by the end of May. Everybody says, oh, it's still early That's fine. But what happens if the Cubs are batting 25th in the majors and they're third, you know, uh, in the division? What are you going to do then? You know, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, do you make a couple of deals before the trade deadline? Thanks, Matt.
2: Hey, Joe, thank you. Um, I I enjoy the effort that Joe puts into his calls. The yellow pad. I want to see the yellow pad where this stuff is written out. That is, that is tremendous. Joe, of course, will be at Zaney's on Wednesday night for the late show. Um, Boy, there's, there's a lot there. But Steve Renko, I lost it. If you hear me laughing in the background, it's because, you know, I just I, I feel the shtick uh, being worked. Uh, w- will they make trades by the end of May? Uh, we've seen that June is when you get a jump on the deadline sometimes and get early, get aggressive. Hell, that's uh, June. I'll, I'll always remember is, is when the Cubs, in a different life cycle, traded Jeff Samarja for Addison Russell, and more. You know, at a different point. They got there in early June. The trade deadline is back to its usual uh, date this year, July 31st. And remember that that is a hard deadline because there are no more August waiver trades. You have the last opportunity to do it on the 31st of july so june yeah may i don't know it's gonna be a weird deadline we're back to the fewer number of playoff teams as we were two years ago we don't have the expanded playoff pool so fewer teams will think themselves in it but who are those teams who are going to be sellers and buyers it's uh very undecided of course very very early here in the year and I don't know, man. You'll have to y'all have to tell me how the Reds are doing in a month or two to see where they are, that outrageous offense. Leading MLB in run differential are the Cincinnati Reds, of course, like we all would have seen coming. By the way, we have a Cubs lineup. Do you see who's in the Cubs lineup hitting eighth today? That's right. It's Eric Sogard ahead of Trevor Williams in that Cubs lineup. Uh, we'll talk more about today's ballgame with the Cubs coming up in a little bit of course um there is other stuff to talk about with andrew vaughn there's an incredible matchup today in baseball among starting pitchers that i want to get to but when we come back uh the baseball author travis sawchick who writes over at thescore.com and has written a couple of really interesting baseball books we'll talk to him at the top of the hour that's next right here on hit and run on 670 the score